Well, if you have your Bibles with you, would you please take them and turn to the book of 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 4. Or if you have your bulletin with you today, you'll find the verse of scripture printed for you there on uh, your outline. And the outline is there for you to keep up with the message as we work our way through this first message in a new series that we are starting today following the theme of promises. And of course, a reference to God's promises and so today is just kind of a general introduction to uh, the theme and to the idea that the promises that God makes to us are indeed precious. So in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 4, the scripture says, For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. So it is that first part of the verse, for by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises. Uh, perhaps you have heard the comment made when uh, it's given as a warning uh, to someone who may be tempted by a scam. A scam, as you know, is a confidence game or other fraudulent scheme to try to swindle you out of your money. Uh, and what they are offering to you certainly is not true, but it sounds to be true. As someone has said, if it sounds too good to be true, then it probably is. But that could never be said about God's promises. Dwight L. Moody, the great evangelist, said, God never made a promise that was too good to be true. Every promise that God has made is true because God is true. There are three basic ideas that I want to follow along in the development of the message today and that you can keep up with it as we work our way through the outline that's printed out for you there. And the first idea, of course, is that God's promises are precious because of their source, because of their source. And of course, the source of the promises we're talking about today is God. God is precious, God is good, God is divine, and God first and foremost is the giver of promises. And because God is good and precious and divine, everything that he promises is good and precious and divine. Bible even tells us in the book of 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 7 that Jesus Christ himself is precious. God's word is precious. The Bible tells us in Psalm 19 verses 7 through 11, they are more precious than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. So God's word, the Bible, is very precious. And the Bible records for us the precious promises of God. And therefore, they are very, very special. Special because of their source. The Bible says in Psalm 119, verse 89, No promise of God ever changes. Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. So God's word will exist forever. This is an eternal word. And it is precious and eternal because it's not the words of men. It is the words of God. Now we know that men wrote the Bible, but they wrote it under the inspiration of the Holy Scripture, of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that all scripture is given by divine inspiration and is therefore profitable for doctrine, reproof, or correction. 
and in the equipment of, of us as Christians. So God's word is eternal. It will never change. It will abide forever because God never changes. God is eternal and therefore his promises are eternal. Now notice in 2 Peter, if you have your Bibles open to 2 Peter chapter 1 and look at verse 3 and in verse 4. And notice in 2 Peter 1, 3, it says, seeing that his divine power has granted to us Notice those words, has granted to us. Skip down to verse 4. The next verse also says, For by these he has granted to us his precious promises. Now the word granted literally means something that has been given to us that is permanent. It's been given to us. It's not going to be taken away from us. It is eternal, it is forever, just as God is, and therefore it is precious. God has given us these promises. Now, two things on your outline that reminds us of the kind of person or being that God is. God is truthful, and therefore God is trustworthy. Notice in the book of Titus, chapter 1 and verse 2, where it says, God who cannot lie. So God cannot lie. For God to tell a lie would be for him to cease to be God because he is truth. And therefore God cannot tell a lie and will not tell a lie. Now, if you have your Bibles open to the book of Titus in chapter uh, one and in verse two, I want to show something to you. If you're in Titus, the book of Titus chapter one and verse 12, this is what Paul, who is the author of the book of Titus, because uh, the book of Titus was written to a man named Titus, and that's why it's called Titus. But in Titus chapter 1 and verse 12, it says, One of themselves, a prophet of their own, said, Grecians are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. Now, Titus resided in, in, uh, in Crete, and that's why he's referring to the Grecians here. And uh, he, is, uh, he says one of themselves, that is, Paul wasn't saying this about them. He was quoting one of their own. And uh, it would be like saying that uh, uh, we would have an individual from Nacogdoches to say something about the people of Nacogdoches. Hopefully they wouldn't say that the people of Nacogdoches are liars. Hopefully they would say they're good people and wonderful people and so forth. But... Uh, but this individual was uh, being quoted by Paul and Paul was saying, why one of their very own said of his own people, they are liars, they tell lies. But then in the context of this, Paul says in verse two, God's not a liar, God cannot lie, he will not lie. What God says is truthful and therefore trustworthy. That's the second idea. Not only that God is truthful, but that God is trustworthy. In the book of Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 23, the Bible says, he who promised is faithful, faithful. And if someone is faithful, it means that he's dependable and that he is trustworthy. So God is dependable, God is trustworthy, he is faithful. You can trust the Lord to keep his word. And when God makes a promise, then you can bank on it, as we say. He's going to keep that promise. He's going to fulfill the promise. Every promise in the Bible regarding the coming of the Lord Jesus and why he would come 
and what he would do while he was here on the earth and that he would ascend to the heavens and then someday would return. All of that is recorded in the scriptures. It was prophesied in the Old Testament. It is fulfilled and being fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. God is trustworthy. His word is trustworthy. And therefore, every promise that he has made is trustworthy. You'll notice also on your outline, I've given you two references, one from the book of Numbers and the other one from the book of First Kings. In the book of Numbers, chapter 23 and verse 19, the Bible says, has he spoken and will he not make it good? This is the conclusion of a statement that was being made, uh, recorded by Moses, that when God makes a statement and when God promises to do something, uh, he will do it. Uh, can God make a promise and then not keep it? Well, no, he makes a promise and he will keep it. Then if you'll notice in 1 Kings chapter 8 and verse 56, not one word has failed of all his good promises which he has promised. So he's not saying that God is 99% accurate in keeping his promises or that he kept one out of every hundred or whatever. No, the Bible is saying that every single promise God has made, God has kept. God has kept. Now, some of the promises that God has made are yet to be fulfilled. They will be fulfilled when Jesus returns. But God will fulfill every promise that he's ever made. He will not go back on his word. He is faithful. He is trustworthy. He cannot lie. He makes a promise and he will fulfill it. So God's promises are precious because of their source. They come from God himself. Notice a second thing. Not only God's promises are precious because of their source, but God's promises are precious because of their size. And I get the word size from the words in 2 Peter 1.4 that are uh, translated as his magnificent promises. That's the adjective that the Bible uses or that Peter uses in talking about the promises of God. Why, they are magnificent. They are wonderful. The New King James Version, if you have the New King James, says that God's promises are exceedingly great. Exceedingly great. Other translations render it, God's promises are very great. So magnificent, exceedingly very great. And the reason why God's promises are great is because God himself is a great God. And God's great promises are recorded for us in God's great book. And God's great promises created by a great God recorded in a great book leads us to a great life. A life that is worthy, that brings honor and glory to the Lord. Now, we measure the size of a promise by its benefits. The greater the benefits, the greater the promise. And the immensity of God's benefits from the promises that he has made is just unbelievable and great and magnificent. God not only, for example, makes provision for our redemption, but according to the book of Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 12, he has obtained eternal redemption. 
Hebrews 9.12 says, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood, he entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. So our redemption, which is another word of saying salvation, is not just good for a few years or for the life that we live on this earth. God's redemption or salvation is eternal. You, once you trust Christ as your Lord and as your Savior, you are redeemed by the precious blood of the Lamb of God. And that redemption is good for eternity. It will never run out. You will be saved forever. Not only that, but God not only gives us life, but according to John 10, 10, 10, he gives us eternal, abundant life. He said, the thief comes only to kill, steal, and destroy, but I've come that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. So again, God's life is abundant. It is great. It is magnificent. God not only gives us joy, but according to John 15, 11, he gives us the fullness of joy. God not only gives us peace, but according to Isaiah 26, 3, he gives us perfect peace. The steadfast mind, O Lord, he says, you will keep in perfect peace because he trusts in you. So the peace that the Lord gives to you is not just peace, it's perfect peace. It's suitable and perfect for any and every situation that you will ever experience in life. God not only promises us forgiveness, but according to Jeremiah 31, 34, he will remember our sins no more. He forgives us as far as the east is from the west. So far has God removed our transgressions from us. And he forgives everything for all eternity. And he will remember. He's not going to, if, if you have trusted Christ as your Savior, the blood of Jesus has covered your sins. And when you stand before the Lord to give an account unto your life, he's not going to hold you accountable for your sins. He'll say, what sins are you talking about? Because if you have repented of your sins and if you have trusted Christ to be your Savior, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses you of all unrighteousness and of all your sins. Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So your sins are washed away and cleansed and forever forgiven. And so we can be thankful that God not only forgives, but he remembers our sins no more. God not only promises us a home in heaven, but according to John 14, 3, he promises himself to be with us. I go, Jesus said, to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. So when it comes time for you to die, when you die, you leave this earth and this earthly life, you leave your body and you immediately go into the presence of the Lord. And Jesus has promised, I am preparing a place just for you so that we can be together forever. So it's not just that we have a home in heaven, we have a home with Jesus forever. And then God not only gives us grace, but according to 2 Corinthians 12, 9, he gives us sufficient grace. And sufficient grace means it doesn't matter what kind of problem you have. 
It doesn't matter what difficulty you may be going through. God's grace is adequate to meet and cover and, and, and be sufficient for any and every need that you have in your life. So they are exceedingly great and magnificently great. So God's promises are precious because of their source. And God's promises are precious because of their size. The third and final thing that I would say to you today is that God's promises are precious because of their sufficiency. Sufficiency. God's promises cover every conceivable human need for life. Whatever your need may be, God has a promise to meet that need. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul found in the book of Philippians chapter 3 and verse 19. And my God will supply some of your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Is that what it says? No, no. Listen again. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So whatever your need may be, God has a precious promise for you. Do you need food and clothing? Listen to what Jesus said. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable to God than the sparrow? So if God takes care of the sparrow, that little bird out there, he's not worth anything in our eyes. Every sparrow that falls to the ground, God knows about it. I mean, every little flea-bitten sparrow that isn't worth anything, when it dies and falls to the ground, God notices that. God knows that. And if he pays that much attention to a little sparrow, don't you think God pays attention to you? And that little sparrow doesn't worry about where he's going to get his next food and next meal. God provides for him. God gives him the food that he needs. And if God cares enough about a little sparrow that he would see to it that the sparrow would have something to eat, don't you think God cares enough about you to see to it that you have enough to eat as well? So if you have a need for food and clothing, then trust the Lord. He will keep your promise. God loves you and he cares about you. Do you need guidance? Listen to what the Bible says in Psalm 32, 8, a promise from the Lord. I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. I will counsel you while my eye is upon you. So you need guidance and counsel in life in making decisions. God has promised. I will give you the guidance that you'll need if you'll just trust me and follow me. And what about rest? Do you need physical rest? Do you need spiritual rest? Do you need mental, emotional rest? Jesus promised, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Do you need forgiveness? 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you need peace? John 14, 27, Jesus said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Do you need strength? 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, My grace is sufficient for you, 
for my power is perfected in your weakness. And Paul said, most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell upon me. You have a weakness then? You need strength physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually? God has promised to give you the strength that he needs. You need his grace is sufficient for you. Do you need salvation? Romans 10, 9 says, a promise from God. If we confess with our mouths the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. Now that's a promise, folks, that God has made to you. You confess your sins to Jesus. You confess Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior. All of your sins will be forgiven. Now that doesn't give you a license to go out and just live your life any way that you want to. If you do that, then something's wrong with your conversion. You haven't been saved. Your want to has been changed. You know, I, I sin more than I want to now. But my, my, my want to has been said, I don't want to do what I want to do. I want to do what God wants me to do. And if you'll trust the Lord and he'll forgive you of your sins, if you will. Do you need, uh, uh, do you need uh, a courage to face old age? We're all getting older. We're all a day older than we were yesterday. Isaiah 46, 4 says, even to your old age, I will be the same. And even to your praying, graying years, I will bear you and I have done it and I will carry you and I will bear you and I will deliver you. So as you grow older, you don't have to be afraid of, 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 of your old age, getting older. You don't have to be afraid of dying. Do you need deliverance? Psalm 50 verse 15. God call, said, call upon me in the day of trouble and I will rescue you and you will honor me. So the list could just go on and on and on and on. God's promises are sufficient. They cover any and every need they could possibly have. Now, in conclusion, notice the application. I've given you four things there. How do we receive God's promises? Well, there's four ways. Number one, prayerful study of the scriptures. If we are saying that God's holy word here, the Bible contains and is the record of God's promises, then where do I find God's promises? You find it in the book. You find it in the Bible. It might pay you to start reading the Bible, you know, and marking in your margin the promises that God has made. The Bible says in Romans 15, 4, from the New Living Translation, the scriptures gives us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. The word hope, as you know, doesn't mean the same that we, as we use it when we say, uh, well, uh, maybe, I, I hope that this will happen. Uh, we use the word hope with the meaning of, well, not quite sure, but I hope so. Now, that's not the way the Bible uses it. The Bible always, always, you, I've said it to you many times before, so I just try to jar your memory, write it down in your mind. The word hope in the Bible means confidence. It means assurance. It means there is no question about this. There's no doubt about this. It is beyond any reasonable doubt. God can be trusted to keep his promises. That is the confidence that we have. And if we'll search the scriptures and if we'll claim the promises, God will keep his word. So prayerfully study the scriptures. The Bible says search the scriptures. It is because it is the scriptures that testify of me, Jesus said. There were a group of people in the city of Thessalonica who uh, were called the Bereans and they studied the scriptures. They didn't take another person's word for it. 
uh, as to what was being said. They searched the scriptures to see if they could find scriptures to back up the words that were being taught to them. So search the scriptures, study the Bible, memorize it, hide it in your heart that you might not sin against God. So prayerfully study the scriptures. Secondly, patiently wait. Patiently wait. Notice in Hebrews 6.15. Hebrews 6.15 is a reference about Abraham and the promise that God gave to Abraham that he would have a son. Now, when God made that promise to Abraham, Abraham was 75 years old. How would you like to be 75 years old and be told you're going to have a son? You probably want to commit suicide or something. I don't, I don't know. But it didn't happen overnight, folks. Abraham was 75 when God made that promise to him, and he was 100 when God fulfilled that promise. Now, how would you like to be 100 and be a new papa? <laughs> Talking about dedicating your baby. <laughs> you dedicate yourself too, wouldn't you? <laughs> Lord, help me. That's what you'd say. <laughs> or Lord, forgive me. One. <laughs> but notice what Hebrews 6.15 says. Having patiently waited, Abraham obtained the promise. The word obtained means that he possessed it. He possessed it. God made Abraham a promise. And it wasn't because God couldn't do it immediately right then. God had a purpose and a plan for what he was doing. And so he wasn't just kind of, he wasn't teasing Abraham. He, he wasn't tormenting Abraham. Uh, he, he just, in, God had a purpose and a plan in sending Isaac and fulfilling his will. And, and it was right in keeping with God's schedule and plan all along and in 25 years later, Abraham became a daddy with Sarah, who had already passed the age and was barren, where she couldn't have a child. But God worked a miracle. And Abraham, now Abraham got impatient. And you know why we're having trouble today in Israel? You know why we're having trouble in the Middle East? Do you know why the Arabs and the, and the Muslims hate us so and try to destroy us? It all goes back to Abraham, where he got impatient took matters into his own hand and his wife Sarah said, here's my here's my maid, go into her and have a child. And so instead of waiting on the Lord, he did what his wife Sarah said and he had a child, named him Ishmael. Ishmael is the father of the, of the, of the Arab nation. And, and you know when uh, Isaac and, and uh, Ishmael grew up together, they fussed and they fought and Sarah and and her handmaid uh, just were at odds with one another, and that's where it all started. We're still suffering from it today because Abraham couldn't wait, took matters into his own hands. Now, God went ahead and fulfilled when he was 100 years old where little Isaac was born, but Abraham waited, in a, in a sense, and he obtained, he, he, he saw the fulfillment and the realization of that promise. Don't get ahead of God. God has a purpose and a plan for every single one of us. I don't know what it is for your life and what God's plan and will for my life is different than yours and so forth. But God has a purpose and a plan for you. Don't get ahead of God. God is never late. God's never early. He's always on time. And he has a perfect will and plan and purpose for every single person who's in this room today and in the world. Wait on God. Be patient and he will keep his promise. Notice the third thing, obedience to God's will 
Hebrews 10, 36 says, for you have need of endurance, or another word for endurance is patience. You have need of patience or endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. So some of the promises that God has made are conditional uh, depending upon your obedience to him. Why should God bless you if you're not obedient to him? If you're not obedient to the Lord, why do you think God's going to grant your wishes or your request or God's going to make a promise to you? You must be obedient to the will of the Lord and if you are obedient to God, then he will, in keeping with his will, his purpose, his plan, and his time, fulfill that promise. So be obedient to the word of God and he will bless you. And then finally, by faith. In Hebrews eleven thirty three, it says, by faith, they obtained the promises of God. Now, I want to tell you a story and I'll be through. Russell Kelso Carter. Russell Carter was born November the 18th, 1849 at Baltimore, Maryland, died August the 23rd, 1928. During the years that he was a student, he was known as an outstanding athlete. In 1887, he was ordained into the Methodist ministry and became an active leader in the Holiness Count Meetings movement of that day. Throughout his entire life, Russell Carter was known as a most interesting, versatile individual. In addition to being a Methodist minister, he was also a professor of chemistry, of natural science, of civil engineering, and mathematics for a number of years. And uh, he was a sheep rancher in California at one time. He published a number of textbooks, the author of several novels, a poet, and a tune composer. He assisted in the collection of Christian hymns in a hymn book called The Hymns of the Christian Faith, a hymnal in which he contributed 68 original tunes and 52 poems. In his later years, he studied medicine and became a practicing physician in Baltimore, Maryland. In 1886, while Russell Carter was serving as a professor in the Pennsylvania Military Academy, a school in which he had been a member of the first graduating class, he wrote a hymn that is still sung to this day. The original hymn has five stanzas. We only sing four of them. Standing on the promises of Christ my King through eternal ages, let his praises ring. Glory in the highest, I will shout and sing, standing on the promises of God. Standing on the promises that cannot fail when the howling storms of doubt and fear assail. By the living word, I, God, shall prevail, standing on the promises of God. Standing on the promises, I now can see perfect present cleansing in the blood for me, standing in the liberty where Christ makes free, standing on the promises of God, standing on the promises of Christ the Lord, bound to him eternally by love's strong cord, overcoming daily with the Spirit's sword, standing on the promises of God. 
standing on the promises, I cannot fall, listening every moment to the Spirit's call, resting in my Savior as my all in all, standing on the promises of God. Standing, standing, standing on the promises of God, standing, standing. I'm standing on the promises of God. Let's bow together. And so our Father, we stand upon the promises that you have made as the song that Russell Carter wrote years and years ago that we still sing to this day, standing on the promises we cannot fail. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for loving us and caring for us. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the promises that you have made. They are indeed precious and special to each of us, every single one of them. We thank you for giving those promises. Thank you for being a God that we can trust uh, to fulfill every promise that you have ever made. Give us the patience that we need. Uh, to wait upon the fulfillment of some of those promises. May we not get ahead of you, but always be obedient to you, searching the scriptures, scriptures, claiming the promises that are made specifically for us, individually tailored, made for us, and for our every need, so that someday we can stand before you and say thank you personally, to thank you also, Lord, that we have the privilege of being a witness in this community and in this world, that we may be the light of the world, that others might see Jesus in us as we stand on his promises. Bless now the time of invitation that we extend for those who need to respond in a public way to stand upon the promises that you have given to each of them and we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name, amen. So if God is speaking to you today and there's a decision that you need to make public, I'll be here at the front to receive you as we stand together and sing. <laughs>